Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome. My name is Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. And you are listening to the Uncommon Life Project, where we are going to dive into one of the most interesting men in the world, and he's not the Dos Equis guy. He's Gabe Glenn. I'm glad he's here. Amanda, thank you so much for that beautiful intro. You always do such a good job for us. All right, let's do the bio for let's Gabe Glenn, bio. and let's rock this out. Gabe's kind of big time. He so. kind of is. <laughs> I don't know about that. Gabe <laughs> Glenn is the CEO of Make You Safe and a serial entrepreneur. Gabriel's startup journey began over a decade ago, and in that time has experienced several successful exits, which just means basically he sold his company. His most recent being the selling of his software company, Slash Web Studios, in 2015. Uh, Gabe was named two, 2014 Entrepreneur of the Year at the Iowa Small Business Awards. In 2016, he was awarded the Alumni of the Year by Des Moines Area Community College and was a finalist for the YPC uh, Young Professional of the Year in 2013. He has served on many community and nonprofit boards, including the Ankeny Young Professionals, and was a charter member of the Greater Des Moines Rotary Club. Gabriel is the, uh, is the creator and host of the Advanced Manufacturing Podcast, AMP, on iTunes and has interviewed dozens of manufacturing leaders around the globe, um, including Jeff Immelt, formerly uh, of GE Corporation. Gabriel and his wife of 11 years, Amanda, live in Ankeny, Iowa, shout out, with their two boys, Caleb and Tucker. Gabriel has a degree in business administration from Des Moines Area Community College. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Gabe Glenn. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. This is awesome. You know, that all sounds really good, but let me just be honest with you. How do we know each other, Gabe? Uh, was it back in our Target days? It was back in our Target days. Target. Yep. <laughs> Gabe was, uh, what was it, asset, what was the? Executive official? team leader of asset protection. Asset protection. There it was. And I was really nothing. But you did something. I was an executive team lead for... Front lines or guest services. Guest services. It? There it was. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys know this, but I also share the Target Brotherhood. Really? Oh, oh wow. It was my first job. So where uh, what store? Uh I was in Omaha. Okay. 132nd and center. And I was the uh like the the stockroom guy, the stockroom uh, captain. I don't remember what the title was. You gotta but, watch uh, those guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Gabe would call me in his office, like, dude, you gotta see this. And then that's when we were like friends forever. <laughs> but since then, we've both obviously got out of Target. We're all out of Target. We're all out of Target, and that was a good starting ground. But Gabe, I just wanna give you a little edification. Like you kind of have the golden touch. So I wanna just commend you for where you're at and how you've got there. So I wanna start going back to you were at Target. As a asset, what was it called? <laughs> Executive team lead of asset protection. Asset protection. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Which, which by the way, I feel like Target's one of those that they, they try to make the job titles sound like super they do. Inc incredible, they do. right? Yeah. And, and my first job when I worked at Applebee's, I was a dishwasher and I tried to get them to change the name to hydro ceramic technician <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't yeah. stick. But uh, for Target, that would have worked. That would have worked. They would have loved that. They embraced it. <laughs> um, so you were at Target. At what point did you say, like, I got to get out of this. I just can't do this anymore. Yeah, it was actually a, a 
interesting moment. So my father and I uh, were very close. We like to go hunting, fishing, do a lot of camping, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So we were out fishing one day, and uh, I was telling him about work and said, you know, I'm kind of getting burned out. This is, you know, 70, 80-hour weeks, every holiday I'm away. I just, I'm, I'm not experiencing life like I thought I was going to experience it. And he said, you know, I had an idea for a business when I was your age. And now keep in mind, I was, I think, 22, 23 at the time. And he said, uh, you know, I always wanted to start a company where I would go inside people's uh, homes and inventory all their personal possessions, record model numbers, serial numbers, take pictures, scan receipts, have all that mm. stuff. Mm. And then if they had to make a loss claim with their insurance company, we would jump in and be like, hey, we have all the information on their stuff. And I go, that is a really good idea mm. and still applicable today. I said, you know, what? I think I'm going to quit my job and start a company. <laughs> and he did the same thing. He chuckled. And, and then that's what I did. A few weeks later, I turned in my res resignation and, and started a company called Asset Protection Specialist with just that mission in mind to, to record all the assets and then have it there for reclamation from the insurance companies. Were you married at that time? Uh, yeah, 22. 22. Probably not. No, it was Amanda and I were engaged, I think. So we've been married 12 years now. Wow. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, Congrats. time flies. So thank you. Yeah. It, was, it had to have been really really close because I'm 35. So it was probably right around Holy that time. Cow. Yeah. What did yeah. she think about that? Getting out of asset protection, stable job. Kind of company. went into asset protection though too. Yeah. <laughs> and I kept, yeah, executive team lead of asset protection. And I started a company asset protection specialist. So I uh, kind of pulled a little bit from, from my target days there. Mm. You know, at first, neither of us really knew what we were getting into. Mm. And the interesting thing is, so I had decided to quit Target and the week that I decided, I got a job offer to go move to Cedar Rapids, which is where I'm from and have a huge family in. Mm. And uh, they made an offer to me to, to open a franchise uh, of a trucking company over there. Mm. And it was a gentleman that I knew very well. Mm. And he was going to pay me three times what my salary was at, at Target. Plus, I was going to get bonuses. Wow. And so I was really excited about this offer. I thought, you know, forget about this entrepreneurship stuff, That's man. That's protection. This is, this is real money. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I took my wife out to dinner to her favorite restaurant in Ankeny, and we're sitting there at dinner, and I said, I, you know, I've got something exciting to share with you. And she said, well, what's that? And I go, so I tell her about this job offer, and she's just staring at me. And then she starts crying. And I'm like, are those tears of joy? And she's like, no. She goes, we just moved to Des Moines. I mean, we'd only been here probably a year and a half maybe. Wow. And she goes, we're just starting to make our own life make our own friends. She goes, I just started my new job at Strategic America. Mm. She goes, I really love it here. And I feel like this is our place. And I'm like, honey, who cares about your job? You can quit your job. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. we're going to have enough income. We can start a family. You know, we didn't have kids at that time. I'm like, we can start a family. You can be a stay-at-home mom. We'll be close wow. to my family because we wow. didn't have anybody yeah, here sure. from a family Let's standpoint. be honest. You were pot committed. You thought this was the jam. I, oh, dude. I thought she was going to jump out of the booth and give me a hug and we were going <laughs> to spray champagne around the restaurant. <laughs> so, you know, that's that was in my mind. Like this whole thing is playing out in a way that I didn't expect it. So I said, well, I, I have 24 hours to give an answer to this guy. And she goes, well, my answer is, is no, I don't want to do this. Wow. And I said, well, what if I, you know, just commuted to Cedar Rapids or, or lived out there during the week and then wow. came back on the weekends? And she goes, I, she goes, you know, we're newly married. I just don't know how that would impact our, our growth together, yeah. you know? And, uh, so anyways, we sat silent for the rest of the meal. And the next morning, I was downstairs making breakfast, and she came downstairs, and I said, so you got a chance to sleep on it. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. He goes back to the well. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I still hadn't called the guy. I'm like, well, what do you think? And she goes, 
I just really don't want to do this. She goes, I feel like there's more here for us. Wow. And so that put the kibosh on that job offer. And that's when I said, all right, so honey, I want to start my own company. Here's what I want to do. We've talked about this, but I guarantee it's going to be harder than we think. Yep. It's going to cost us a lot of money. We were still broke. You know, we yep, were fresh yep. out of college, sure. completely broke. I said, it's going, to be, it's going to be really hard for us. But what I want you to do is I want you to support me 100% in this journey um, if, if this is the path we're going to take. And she said, I will. And she's never, never wavered wow. since. So if it wasn't for her, this entire journey, um, us sitting here, totally. all of these things, mm. totally. uh, probably never would have happened. No idea cool. how much your spouse truly does support you in those things. And I always tell people, if my wife's with <laughs> me, I'll take on the world. Yeah, man. If my wife's against me, it doesn't matter if the world's on my side, my world's upside down. And so that's t- such a, it speaks to exactly your story. So you're in, you're in the asset protection. Yeah. How are things going for the first couple weeks, months? As good as you thought? Was it exactly what you thought? Was you planned? Were you ever at that point where I want to go back to Target and just watch <laughs> screens and people stealing things? Or yeah, it was a it was a dumpster fire. In the <laughs> I mean, it was it was rough. Uh, you know, I made every mistake you could possibly make. Uh, first thing I did is I I got a credit line. And I went out and I, I spent a ton of money on office furniture, office supplies. Oh. I set up my home office uh, all on a credit line. Um, I, I went and started paying for advertising. So this is how naive I was, right? So this isn't that long ago, guys. And, <laughs> and, and I turn around and I drop $5,000 on yellow page advertising. Oh, <laughs> my. You know, Bold, I, I, wanted, I wanted the big spread, right? Uh-huh. You know, big yellow so that all wow. seven people that you know, use the yellow pages would. They have a strong pitch though. I will say that. They do, man. I got, I got, <laughs> I got pulled in. So they bought me a nice cup of coffee at Starbucks and convinced me that this was the way this is to, a jam. to success. This is the and I think that, you know, entrepreneurship in general, I think uh, early on, most folks uh, believe, you know, it, it's that old, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, you open the doors and there'll be a line of people You're waiting outside right. your business. And the, the sad reality of it is it takes tremendous amounts of, of work and perseverance. And so those early uh, months weren't easy. And, he, and, and pretty quickly, we found ourselves in dire financial straits. And so here I am, uh, started my first company. At that time, I didn't have a degree either. And I had spent three years at UNI. That's where I met Amanda. Mm-hmm. I tried three different majors, didn't really like any of them. <laughs> Bored. Exactly. Yeah. So I had racked up a pretty good, you know, pretty good debt right there. Sure. So I decided, hey, if I'm going to do this entrepreneur thing, I should probably, you know, learn business. So I decided to enroll at DMAC uh, in in business school. So here I am running this startup company from, you know, eight to five. Then I would have dinner. Then I would go to night classes Mm. from six to nine. Wow. And financially, we we just weren't cutting it. So my wife got a job at the golf course across the street as a beverage cart girl to make money on the weekends, even though she had a full-time job. Hustling. And I got connected to... uh, through a friend to a security company. So after I got out of night class, I would go home and get dressed in my uniform and I would go be a security guard overnight at Embassy Suites downtown. And I'd get off about six in the morning, I'd come home, sleep for a couple hours and do it all over again. Wow, dedication. So it was rough. I I remember several nights uh, at the Embassy Suites, I carried a pocket Bible with me and I would go into the swimming pool area because it was shut down and nobody could get in there. I had to check it every hour anyways. And I'd sit next to the pool in a chair and I'd look at my reflection in the water and, and read verses. Wow. And just ask myself, like, God, is this really the plan? Is this really what you wanted totally. for me? Because I'm not seeing it. Yeah. You know, I, we all, I would say, have stories like that. And 
to me, I've just been reflecting lately of when people don't have that story, you almost rob yourself of the true, I guess. What's in there? Yes. It's, <laughs> what do you You never hit that rock bottom. Some people have never hit rock bottom. They either take over a business or they do maybe something else that they franchise maybe, but they've never had that sit by a pool, read Bible verses and say like, is this really where you want me? And the character that produces mm. now on the flip side, yep. right, is, is powerful. So when did you start seeing things start to flip on the asset protection? The yeah, um, it was probably about a year and a half in. So one of my instructors in school, I, I reached out to him and I said, uh, I want to buy you lunch and share with you my business and what I'm doing. And I, I sat down with him for lunch and shared my business plan with him. And, and uh, he really started to push me uh, on how I was going to grow the company to a place where it wasn't this grind for me all the time. And one of the things he helped me identify was he said, try to find yourself an unpaid sales force. And I go, okay, an unpaid sales force. How do you, how do, you do that? He goes, you got to find who stands to gain the most from what you're doing that will encourage people to use your service. And the first thing that clicked into my head was insurance agents, right? They tell mm -hmm. their customers to do this, to inventory their property. Sure. Nobody does it, right? Right. And, and the folks that I was targeting were high net worth people that had a lot of assets and didn't have a lot of time and weren't going to spend the time themselves, but had a lot to, stood a lot to lose, right? If, sure. if something happened. So I went and I met with insurance agents and I said, uh, you know, here's my company. Here's a brochure that, that talks about it. Tell your customers to do the inventory, but then say, since we know you're not going to do it, here's, here's a company that will do yeah. it for you. Mm. Yep. And what I gave them in exchange was I said, at the end of the day, I will pay for coffee for you and your customer to sit down and go through their inventory. And what I had done is I spent months uh, understanding insurance policies, all the major carriers. And what I discovered is uh, something I didn't know about insurance policies, which is uh, they have limits of liability for specific categories within a policy. So you have a half million dollars contents policy, but... You know, your musical instruments might only be covered up to 1500 bucks, hmm. even though you've got a half million. Yeah. You know, so I had just inventoried this guy's house and he's got this guitar collection. Jeez. He's got a $30,000 1969 Fender Strat hanging on the wall, right? Uh -huh. And he goes, oh, I've got over 600000 in contents coverage. And I pulled out his policy and I showed him where it said musical instruments, $1,500 max. And he about puked. And so... What wow. I did is I set these people down together and they were able to go through the inventory. The insurance agent would write them a better policy. Sure. And, uh, and it benefited both sides. Yeah, you make that insurance agent look like a rock star. Mm. And then you also benefit because you're now providing a value. How did, you, how did you get out of that company? What was the exit there? Yeah, it was actually kind of by, by accident. So we had uh, Tom, uh, who was my instructor in school, helped me to create a turnkey uh, business model out of this. So we could essentially, you know, create these in other states. And so we had, uh, for lack of a better term, franchised off in sure. a couple of states. Um, and and uh, at that time, so Twitter and Facebook and stuff were just starting to come onto the scene. Uh, I was dabbling with, the, you know, little computer programming and things like that. And so I got online and I created sort of this um, this application for scraping profile data. Now, keep in mind, this is back in the beginning. Pri privacy yeah. concerns didn't weren't exist. even a concern. We didn't. It wasn't anything yeah. we even talked about. And so, what I was using social media for was identifying, like, when somebody was moving to Des Moines. That's a good target for me, right? They're moving into mm -hmm. a house. Everything's clean. They've got a lot of stuff um, that they're moving. That kind of stuff. So, I was using this system to identify things, uh, to identify customers based on what people were saying and what they were sharing online, mm -hmm. um, and the business record 
uh, did an article on me. Mostly they were they were curious about asset protection specialists, but I got to talking about what I was doing with this um, with this system for for finding customers. So that article hit the hit the paper, and I started getting calls from businesses all around the metro here. I mean, wow. big companies going, yeah. "Hey, we're I hearing about that. the social media. Yeah. How, yeah. Do we, how do we buy your software? Can you come work for us?" And so uh, that afternoon, I had talked to a big real estate company, and they said, "How much would it cost to to be able to use this?" And I was really happy doing APS, and I I just threw out a number. I said thirty five grand, and they said, "Okay, great. Can you come in next Monday and get things set up?" And I'm like. Oh, okay. <laughs> so okay. I, I drove down the street to my attorney's office and I said, hey, I got to start a, another company. And, uh, and so what was really cool is in six weeks time uh, with this new company, we passed three years worth of sales from the, from the APS business. Wow. Uh, so I hired a few friends uh, from high school and college, brought them over and uh, we started rolling there. So it was really kind of this natural, like I moved into this and then I went to one of my franchisees and said, hey, do you want to take over the, the whole company? I'll sell it to you. And he said, done. Wow. And so that was kind of how I moved on from from APS into this. Where did you go from there? Slash webs, right? Yeah. So um, we were primarily focused on the social media side of things, right? The the Twitter and the Facebook Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, And a lot of our customers were asking for, you know, websites and and digital things that that we weren't really uh, able to produce. So I found a couple of guys in Ankeny that had a little lifestyle web business called Slash Web Studios. They had started a couple years earlier. Uh, in an architecture uh, office where they were primarily working. So this mm-hmm. was kind of a side hobby. And, uh, and so I started feeding them business. And pretty soon they were getting really, really busy. And we were co-oping a ton of projects together. So one day we're out for a beer. And I said, hey, guys, what would this look like if we just mashed this together and, uh, and ran with this thing? Mm-hmm. And at that time, I, I had uh, two other employees. There was three of us. Um, mm-hmm. It was the two of them. And they had one other guy that was starting to do work for them. So uh, we did. We matched it together. We kept the Slash Web Studios name because my company's name, the social media uh, company, was Ed Stringo, which is uh, <laughs> Latin for to bring together. But when, when, when you find it online, you're like, I don't even know what that, yeah, that what means. Is that? So it was, it was, I was not a branding guy, right? So <laughs> anyways, we, we mashed together Slash Web Studios. And uh, right around, you know, probably a year into that marriage, um, smartphones really became a thing. You know, we, we kind of assume and feel like they've been a part of our lives for a long time, but the yeah. iPhone's only been kind around a, a decade. Years. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, so anyways, we, we recognized that uh, mobile was where things were really going to be going. And so one of the hardest things I had to do was go to my friends and the people that I recruited to Des Moines and, and uh, tell them, hey, we're going to get rid of the social media side of things. You know, by then, a lot had changed from privacy standpoint. Yeah. And, and a lot of it got commoditized and automated. Mm-hmm. You know, what we were doing was, was manual. And so the cost got driven really down. It just wasn't sure. profitable. Uh, so we made that move. And, and we decided to hire on a couple of guys that were really focused on developing uh, mobile applications. Mm-hmm. And we decided to, to go after that market. And it ended up being a great choice. I mean, that was really the turn of the smartphone revolution. And uh, we ended up with more business than we could uh, we could even handle. Even by the time we grew to 15 employees, we were still farming stuff out mm. to companies. Wow. So then your exit for that was you had to merge with a bigger company. Yeah, we, we recognized that really there was two options for us to grow. Uh, yeah. We were either going to acquire or, or be acquired. And we had a company that had approached us and said, hey, we're, we're kind of interested in growth ourselves. They did uh, similar things to what we were doing, custom web applications, mobile uh, they were a little bit bigger than us, about twice the size. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Let's entertain the offer. And, um, and actually, within 24 hours, another company, uh, another competitor of theirs reached out to us and said, 
hey, we're uh, we're looking to grow. Do you guys have any interest well, in being acquired? So here we had, you know, two, uh, two, uh, two interested <laughs> yeah. parties. And uh, really what it provided us was not so much necessarily the ability to, to uh, let them negotiate against each totally. other. What it did is it gave us a clear path to let's choose somebody that we want to work with. Let's choose who, who would be a yeah, good partner. Lots of blessing. Because a lot of the clients that we had, we had personal relationships with. You know, you spend yeah. a few years working with these people and helping them grow their companies They're like and their families. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to just be like, all right, hey, sorry, we sold you off to these got the highest bidder jerks, yeah. you know, over here. Yeah, that I got paid. But... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so we found a great partner uh, in Shift Interactive here in Des Moines and uh, decided to transition the company over to them. And that would have been January of 2015. Okay. Wow. Now this is where things get good, which I want to take a oh, pause before oh, we get into the we're next thing. Because I think to our listeners, you know, you're you're all in. Like when you make a decision, Gabe's all in, right? But like, what does it look like with your own just personal capital at a high level? Like, what's it been like going through two businesses? And like, what what advice would you give our listeners? Like, I want to start something. Don't do this or do this. You know. <laughs> Give it, make it a little more tangible. Yeah, I think some of the uh, some of the challenges that I had was you know, everything that I kept getting into, the next thing kept getting bigger, which is a natural, I guess, progression. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to experience this, you know, great windfall of like, wow, I'm going to go buy a lake house and I'm going to do these other things. It was every time I had an opportunity to exit, it was like, I'll take that little bit of money mm-hmm. that I was able to to go from there. Uh, take what I've learned, right? The knowledge yeah, yeah. is something that I think entrepreneurs underplay, that what they gather from that, and then roll that into something else Invest a little bit, yeah, a little bigger. bit bigger. Um, and I had been doing some investing in the marketplace. Uh, you know, what was funny is there was an Edward Jones guy in a lunch group that uh, that I knew, and uh, I, he was really the only financial person that I knew. Mm-hmm. And so I went to him and I said, "Look, I I know you've got customers with a ton of money. I've got fifteen hundred bucks." <laughs> And it's a lot of money to me. It, it is. Yeah. It is all of my extra money that I have to, to spare right now. I said, but Facebook is going to be IPOing. And I said, I have watched Facebook from its infancy. I know this company inside and mm-hmm. out. I said, this is a technology company. It is not a MySpace. It right. is not a social media company. I said, they are, they are investing. They are buying. They're buying all kinds of interesting technology, right? I said, I feel like they're kind of a Google type play. Mm-hmm. So I said, I want to put my $1,500 on Facebook. He's like, all right, Suitability wise. Yeah. Like, yeah. He goes, all right. He goes, I'll, I'll do it for you. So we do. The IPO happens. You know, I think I bought stock at like 45 bucks. Yeah. It goes to absolutely tanks. It's right? cut in half. Exactly. So he calls me back and he goes, hey, we're, we're down around $20. Uh, he goes, you've lost a lot on this already. He goes, you have a lot of confidence in this company, though. Do you have any extra cash that you want to put? Mm-hmm. He goes, I, excuse me. He said, I, I would, I would consider maybe a dollar Double cost averaging, yeah. averaging and, and getting back in. Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I gave him another fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, that's what I had earned, you know, over the course of a few weeks there of, of dealing with that um, with Facebook. And so we put that back in at like nineteen dollars. Um, and then when I transitioned out of out of Shift Interactive and into this new company. Uh, I was able to sell that stock for around 150, 160 dollars yeah. a share, and that that really helped us launch this new company that's super yeah. capital intensive. So, yep. you know, some of it was just a little bit of uh, of luck, but then also just knowledge about the industry that I was passionate about. Yeah. All right. So you're done with shift. You're chilling. You're just. Gabe I gotta chill. do. Yeah, he doesn't chill long. <laughs> okay, it was good. a very short period, right? 
Yeah, I, I hung around for about 11 months through the transition with Shift uh, and recognized that, you know, my life is startups. Uh, I, I like creating things. Um, it was a great company. I loved the people there. Uh, my, my business partner, Brett, is still with them. I know Brett. Yeah. yeah, great Brett, guy. Great guy. And, uh, and so I said, all right, guys, I, I need to pull out here. I need to go, uh, need to go do something yeah. else with my life. And uh, Gabe's so I, getting antsy. Gabe's I, getting antsy. Well, the first thing was I needed to reconnect with my family. Right at this point, I've got two. I've got two boys. Yeah. Um, life is is going full force, and you guys know me. I'm kind of a well. You mentioned I'm all in, right? Yeah. And so the pendulum swings one way when I'm onto something, and so I, I find myself with my life getting very out of balance on things. Mm -hmm. And so here we had just sold this company. We're trying to you know, bring our customers into the fold. There's a lot going on, right? And I had let myself get completely absorbed in that. So the first thing I said was, it's November. I'm going to spend the next two months with my family. It's the holiday season. Mm -hmm. They need to get reacquainted to their to their dad, their husband. So that's what I did. I spent a couple of months. Well, mm -hmm. I, of course, I was kind of looking at like what maybe the next thing might sure. be. Sure. And, uh, I had always wanted to learn broadcast. I had always wanted to learn audio editing and recording and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I decided, you know what I'm really passionate about? At Slash Web Studios, we did a lot of manufacturing uh, software. So we would take ERP systems and make them mobile for their, uh, mm -hmm. for their salespeople out in the world. And I'm like, I was in these manufacturing facilities all around the Midwest. And I kept hearing over and over again these incredible stories of a company that started in the 1880s mm -hmm. making horseshoes. Yeah. And here they are five generations later. Still going. Still in Strong. business. Obviously not in Changed. the horseshoe market, <laughs> right? right? But uh, that was what was fascinating to me is how do you reinvent yourself so many times over and over again, and now you're making touchscreen automated grain sorting systems, right? How did you find that path and that vision? And I said, you know what? I want to record these stories. I'm going to put them online with a free-to-distribute, free-to-use license, open syndication. Anybody can take it. They can chop it. They can do whatever they want with it, right? For me, it was about telling those stories. And I figured yeah. nobody's going to listen to them anyways, but we <laughs> should record these stories for... Uh, for history, right? Uh -huh. uh, so I launched uh, the Advanced Manufacturing Podcast um, after my two-month sabbatical uh, with just that mission. Record these stories, put them on the internet for people to hear. And I was wrong. Um, people really wanted to hear this yeah. stuff. They uh -huh. really wanted to listen. Yeah. And pretty soon I had thousands of people listening to this thing. And I started getting calls from all around the world. People saying, hey, I heard your, your <laughs> podcast here. And we're no doing something way. really cool with our company. Would you want to do an interview with us? And I was like, yeah, man, that sounds great. So originally, I was kind of like, I'll just kind of focus on Iowa. Well, now, you know, we're, we're doing global podcasts, which, is, which yeah. is really cool. Sure. And I think all of it kind of came to a pinnacle. You mentioned in the intro my opportunity to sit down with, with Jeff uh, Immelt from GE, GE. Corporation. Wow. So about a year ago at this time, actually, I was on the corporate jet with GE. Uh, they had reached out to me and said, hey, we're big fans of your podcast. <laughs> we do some cool things at GE. Not sure how much you know about us. I'm like, uh, you were founded by GE. Thomas Edison. How you know, do you you're spell that? I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, I, you know, I knew their history. I knew what they were doing. And so wow. I, I, at first I thought my friends are punking me, right? Like, there's yeah, no way. Yeah. Uh, so I, I fly to New York City. Uh, I hop on an airplane um, and, and they take me around the country for a few days. They show me their jet engine facility that they just built. They show Shut me the robotics up. facility. I go to... Um, uh, go to Pennsylvania to their locomotive remanufacturing facility. How cool is that? Uh, and then to cap it all off, uh, I show up at an oyster bar in Boston and get to sit down and have dinner with Jeff uh, Immelt and, and talk wow. about GE. Uh, all because of this hobby podcast. Wow. Yes. So, and I should tell you guys this uh, funny story. So I show up at the hangar, right? And what they told me is, you know, we'll be doing industry tours for a few days, right? 
which is what I do all the time with the yeah. podcast. So I show up in dicky jeans, Wolverine boots, uh, flannel shirt, ready to go, fire trucker brewery yeah. hat. I got yeah. my own safety glasses with me. And I walk into the hangar, and there's all these people in suits. Yeah. Uh -huh. And they're like, uh, who are you? And I go, <laughs> Gabe Glenn with the Advanced Manufacturing Podcast. And they go, okay, where are you from? And I said, Des Moines, Iowa. And they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that fits. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I was, I was totally a fish out of water, totally out of place. What was cool is they invited a few media members, I guess was technically what I was. So we had uh, Wall Street Journal, uh, Inc. Magazine, CNBC, um, and uh, Industry Week magazine, and then, wow. and then me from the Advanced yeah. Manufacturing Podcast, and they, so cool. they treat us like kings. We had a private dinner at the Henry Ford Museum in Detroit. They shut the museum down. We had a private wow. dinner. How it cool just, is that? It was just an awesome experience. Quick question, follow-up question. On the present CEO of GE, Jeff, what was the biggest question you asked him that you were a little nervous to ask him in yeah. that interview? Yeah, great question, Philip. So I happen to be, we're sitting in kind of a line with the media members on the one side of the table and then the executives from GE on the other side of the table. And I just happen to be last in line. And, and Jeff says, um, each of you can ask me two questions. And so the first question, you know, these are media members. They've yeah. got to pander to their audience yeah. and they've got to ask the political questions. Yep. And, and Jeff is very much so a politician in the way that he answers things, right? Very uh, polished and proper and a lot of canned answers. So the first mm -hmm. question is like, you know, how does the Trump travel ban impact your business and that kind of stuff. And so then they get to me and I said, uh, Mr. ML, you've, you've done some amazing things in your life. I mean, you're the CEO of a company founded by Thomas Edison. You followed uh, Jack Welch, one of the greatest CEOs in, in global history. Yeah. Um, you've had an amazing career, but is there anything on your list that you, you haven't done that you want to do? Mm. And he stared at me. It felt like minutes, Mike right? Dropped. But it was probably, probably <laughs> yes. just a couple of Take seconds. Take that, CNBC. <laughs> and he's looking at me, and he leans back in his chair. And you can just kind of see this weight come off yeah. of him. And he said, you know what, young man? He said, I have had an interesting career. I, I have had the opportunity to work with some amazing people and run you know, one of the most incredible companies that has ever been created on our planet. And he said, but I've always wondered, could I do it? Yeah. Could, could I be the person to start something like this that 100 years from now, uh, somebody else is sitting here yep. running this company? And, uh, and I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. That was a great story. Yeah. And I go, is that, is that on the record? He goes, oh, God, no, you didn't record that, did you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I did. So publicist is like, we'll just take that sound bite. <laughs> yeah. away, Basically, so. what Jeff just said was, I want to have that moment by the pool <laughs> with my Bible wondering if I could do it, right? Yeah. Like, and we have that. What an amazing story. Yeah, so it was good. fun. Cool experience. They treated me so well. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. So you're starting to get some traction on this manufacturing train. The podcast yeah. is going well. And at what point did you say, wait, I think I can make this even bigger and better for not only myself, but other people and make it safer? Yeah. So really what happened is, and this kind of goes back to a, a practice of mine. So um, I try to spend a lot of time fine-tuning um, the, the way that I view the world and the way that I look at people, the way that I look mm. at situations. And so one of the things that I had started doing a couple years ago um, was every morning I would, try to, I would pull out a spreadsheet and I would try to come up with three new ideas, mm. three new ideas for something. And sometimes I would challenge myself even harder. It didn't matter how absurd they were or anything, but I would challenge myself in a, in a hard way like, uh, one day I put silverware in front of me on a, on the table and I said, how would I reinvent silverware? Mm. It's never been it's reinvented never been redone. in, you know, forever, right? And you just force yourself to try to think through different ideas, whether it's materials that you would use differently mm. or different shapes and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Um, so what I found was that practice helped me 
look at things a little bit differently. And so while I'm out touring one afternoon, a facility, um, the employees are wearing these funny looking buttons on their shirt. And so I asked the guy, I go, what, what's that all about? And he said, well, unfortunately, one of our employees lost their hearing. So we're being audited by OSHA. And those are called dosimeter buttons. They're going to come back, uh, download all the data off of them, mm-hmm. and determine if we violated OSHA code uh, and if we're going to be fined and sued and wow. liable for the hearing loss. And, uh, and I said, unpack that a little bit. You know, tell, tell me what that means. I go, there, there are laws around how much sound somebody can be exposed to. What else are, are there laws around that they can be exposed? How do you guys monitor this kind of stuff? And, uh, you know, fortunately, my father is a safety manager at a plant with more than 1,000 employees. Jeez. And so I was able to lean on him a lot for this information. And what I discovered is it's a completely archaic process of paying a third party thousands of dollars to come into a facility wow. once a year, m- test Audit. all of these yeah. things, yeah. right? And, and, then, and then they go away and they assume the other 364 days it's going to be the exact same, uh-huh. right? Jeez. And, and so, they all know when they're coming. <laughs> exactly. And so the light bulb goes off and I go, you know what? We have the technology now where we can not only constantly monitor environmental conditions, but we can do it directly on the individual. And we can understand just exactly what mm-hmm. each individual person wow. is being exposed to. And that data is incredibly powerful in understanding how we can... Um, more predictively and prescriptively prevent accidents from happening in the, in the facility. And so I, I tell my wife this story and I said, hey, you work at a research company. I said, do some research for me. Tell me how big of a problem this is. I said, because I think we might be onto something. And I never, ever would have expected what she came back to me with. Mm. It was heartbreaking. More than a thousand people a day die in work accidents on oh this planet. My. Wow. In manufacturing, uh, in, or in, just in a variety of, of industries, okay. right? Sure. Um, more five hundred people a minute get injured in yeah. work accidents. Wow. There was over one hundred and sixty thousand people in the U.S. that didn't yeah. go home from work uh, last year. Holy last cow. year in Iowa, there was fifty six workers that yeah. died. In, I think in work somebody accidents. at Sour just lost their life. You know, wow. Yeah, like up in a couple up weeks ago. Foss, yeah, it wasn't that long yeah. ago. Um, so I mean, this is a real mm. problem. So that, that, that was the, the, uh, the heartbreaking part. And then also just understanding the financial impact, right? More than a billion dollars a week gets paid out on worker compensation mm-hmm. claims in the it's U.S. alone. Wow. It is a ton of money that goes out the door. And quite frankly, there are a lot of leading indicators that tell us that these things are going to yeah. happen. We, we just were never gathering In a them. broken, archaic system, no yeah. one's ever tried to challenge that. They exactly. just kind of, well, I guess that's what you do. That's the way that it is. And so that was when I contacted a friend of mine, uh, one of the smartest guys I know, Mark Frederick. Uh, he was working at IBM and in, in IoT and cloud computing. And I said, hey, man, I've got a problem I want to talk to you about. So uh, we got together and I shared with him the research and the stories and what I knew about the manufacturing nice. mm. industry. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm in these facilities every day. Right? Sure. That, that, huh. was my, that was my life. I had tons of access to the space to see what was going on. And, uh, and I said, I, I really think we can change the way the world looks at workplace wow. environments and mm-hmm. the way that we um, the way that we look at the way the environment impacts worker health, safety, and productivity. Yeah. And so that was the genesis of Make You Safe. Wow. So you like naming things. Walk us through the name because I think it's really cool. Well, I can't take credit for this. It was another friend of ours that, that came up with the thing here. We're, you know, we're struggling for, you know, what do we want to call this thing? And, you know, we're focused on environment and safety and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, the guy just happened to look up, you know, what are some words in Hawaiian that are around risk and safety? Because <laughs> everyone like that. likes Hawaiian. Yeah, yeah you know, <clears throat> it's better I, than Greek, right? I, I was going to say I would have <laughs> I suggested Latin, but we don't know how that how yeah. that works out. 
So anyways, it turns out um, maku, M-A-K-U, is Hawaiian for risk. And so we said, well, what if we put a line over the A and we pronounce it make you? So yeah. make you safe, even though the corporation is actually Maku Safe Corporation, because our whole goal and focus is, you know, we want to send more people home from work every day. So mm -hmm. we need to reduce the risk. Mm, and that's uh, so that's how make you safe. So this is more. really the biggest venture you've ever done. Hands down. And so walk us through how your experience in the past has helped you even because you're in the crowdfunding or like the startup phase right now. Capital raise. Capital sure. raise. And that's a little bit different than any other company that you've described to us up to this point. Yeah. So in the past, I'd never, there's a lot of things that are first for me with this venture. So one, uh, hardware. I had zero hardware experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we are more of a software and a data company. Really for us, it's about the data, trending the data, sure. you know, identifying risk and offering remediation steps, right? Um, so that's, that's really at our core. But in order to be able to do that in a proactive way, we needed to yeah, gather this hardware, data. Yeah. There was nothing on the planet that was designed to do what we wanted it to do. So we were kind of, what, what's the old adage, like necessity you know, yeah, forces breeds, in, yeah. in, in, innovation, right? So that's what happened. And we said, well, okay, well, we need to create this product. And my naivety actually was, was a bit of a savior to us because I thought, how hard can it be? Right? <laughs> Just hardware, I've built a lot of software stuff. It can't be that different can't be too expensive, right? Sure. Um, so that naivety really got us started down this path of, you know, hey, I threw some money in. Uh, I had some money, you know, from from my exit with uh, Slash Web. Yep. Um, and and uh, so Mark and I started down this journey. And what we discovered was, one, hardware is incredibly hard. Mm -hmm. It is super capital intensive Except, yeah, before expensive. you can actually get to market. The amount of capital that's needed to, to create something that can be viable in a, in a workplace environment is super expensive. Um, so there, it forced me to learn how to capital raise. So that, mm -hmm. that was part of it. Never gone down the patenting process. Um, by capital raising, we knew that we needed to form the corporation as a C corporation mm -hmm. because we were going to be bringing on a board of directors. We were going to have shareholders. Yep. Uh, right. So now I had to learn how do you run a C corporation because everything else has mm -hmm. been LLCs. So now I've got a board of directors to answer to. I've got corporate formalities. Yeah. You know, all of these things. You know, and it, it kind of goes back to the comment I made about how I think entrepreneurs undervalue the education side of, of each uh, venture. Yeah. You, you know, each thing was a building block to where I am now to answer your question, Philip, right? Like there were elements of everything that I was doing um, and, and certainly connections along that journey, right? That, mm, were, sure. that were going to prove to be really helpful here for Make You Safe in this journey. Um, but we completely undervalue the amount of knowledge and education that we gain out of that mm -hmm. because I look at what I've invested into this startup. I mean, selling my townhome, um, <laughs> investing the, the capital that I had, pulling my stocks, any, you know, anything I could yeah. to get capital. All hands on thing. deck. Going, um, going underneath the seat cushions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, taking, taking all the cans back in the garage, yes. doing that kind of stuff. So, um, but at the end of the day, regardless of where Make You Safe uh, turns out, Nobody can take away this education from me. And I can tell you, I could not have paid the Invaluable. amount of money that I've invested into Invaluable. this thing to yeah. get that same education right. and to meet those people along the way. We say all the time, you can't cheat that process either. Yes. You know, that yeah. like entrepreneurial <laughs> education trial by fire. You just can't buy it. You just have to get into it and, you know, your story will unravel. So, yeah, I, true. I'm totally nailing this pod. I'm sorry I'm asking all these questions, but <laughs> where are you on where you want Make You Safe to be? Just give the listeners like zero is like, I just threw the first diamond of this thing and a hundred percent is like, this thing's ready to go. Yeah. You're w selling it. Where are you at on that percentage wise? Just so the listeners can kind of 
hear that from you. Yeah, so the first uh, year and a half, um, I was the the only full-time person in the company uh, on a volunteer basis, right? Um, <laughs> I remember those days. And, by the way. and, and my co-founder, um, Mark, had really embraced the project. Although he said, I, I'm, I'm not in a position to leave my career. He was working. Career. Yeah, career. Um, he said, I, I'm all in, man. I'm going to help you with this. So he was working nights and weekends and, I mean, putting in a ton of time on this. So we progressed pretty well. So we got our first beta test products out um, probably within the first six months. So we started the company like May of 2015. In the fall of 2015, we were testing our product in factories here in Iowa. Wow. Um, and at that point, we had burned through the capital. We had worked <laughs> with a team of engineers here in Iowa. And that's when I started to learn like, whoa, um, you know, it, it goes pretty <laughs> it goes quickly. Yeah. So we, uh, we had some folks in manufacturing that were excuse me, keeping a close eye on what, on what we were doing. And so I went to them and I said, hey, I, I need some capital for this. Would you be interested in putting in? Uh, I opened up a small angel round of $100,000. And within 72 hours, we had the, the round closed mm -hmm. up, which was amazing for mm -hmm. us. Uh, we used that $100,000 to uh, help us iterate on our hardware. So we went through a few different versions mm -hmm. of, this, of this hardware um, as we were learning things about what we were doing. Um, and it was at this point that uh, we started getting some press about what we were doing and EMC company, uh, insurance company, they're in a regional Moines. carrier. Yeah. yeah Big they, player. They, here they were actually born out of the Iowa Manufacturers Association. I don't know if you guys knew that, wow. so, which is now ABI. Um, but back in the day, they were the Iowa Manufacturers hmm. Association. They started their own insurance hmm. company to insure manufacturers. Uh, and, and that's how EMC was born. So they reached out and said, Hey, you, you're doing something really interesting. Uh, we think you're onto something. Can we can we get some capital into this thing and help you guys develop this technology? Uh, we said sure. That sounds that <laughs> sounds in. great. Yeah, um, that sounds, door's open. Sounds really cool. <laughs> so we did a deal with EMC. They came on as an equity partner in the company, and we started collaborating with their team. And really, this is where the entire thing kind of blew wide open because what we discovered after a few months of working with them is we had been focused on making the lives of guys like my father a lot easier, mm -hmm. right? Providing them tools to manage risk and safety in their facility, manage the paperwork process, reporting yeah. process, all those things, super critical and important to this whole uh, focus of Make You Safe. But what we didn't realize is we are building an insurance tool. Mm -hmm. And how we realized that was after collaborating with the folks at EMC and some of the other carriers that had been reaching out to us, we discovered that these companies have massive risk reduction departments. EMC has over 100 employees uh, here mm -hmm. in Des Moines in risk reduction. Uh, those are ergonomists, industrial hygienists, safety trainers. Mm -hmm. They've got tools. They've got equipment. They have all these things that they've spent a ton of money on, and they use it to help reduce the risk of the people they insure, and they deliver those tools to them based on claims. Mm. So wow. once somebody's had a lot of claims, they get a whole bunch of resources. But yeah. by then, there's losses. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's already accidents. Uh, lives, you know, premiums yes. are Some going cases, up. <laughs> lives, right? And uh, and it's a bad relationship at that point. Mm -hmm. And so we said, well, with the data that we're gathering, we can recognize trends in the facility before they get to a place where they're they're causing these loss claims, mm -hmm. and and we can act as a conduit for you guys to deliver your risk reduction resources in a proactive way yeah. to your customers That's instead of always waiting proactive for Proactive and preventative. That's exactly. And for our listeners, Gabe, this is a wearable device. I don't want to associate it to any other device because it does more than I think most devices on the market. But this is a wearable device that guys in the manufacturing facility are wearing while they're on the job. Correct? That's, that's correct. Yeah. So we 
uh, put a tremendous amount of, of energy and design effort into this. Um, we worked with a design team out of uh, San Jose, California, uh, that specialize in wearable devices. So they help design Fitbits, mm. um, the Apple Watch, Jawbone. Sure. You know, they've done a lot of wearable nice. things. So their design team came to Iowa, and we went on a factory tour. Wow! And they interviewed employees, you know, and they tried to understand more about their job. And I knew enough, you know, between uh, my father being in safety and, and my experience in manufacturing, I knew enough about how this thing needed to operate mm-hmm. um, and, and where it needed to be placed on the body, you know, as one simple example, right? So this is an armband that goes up around the shoulder uh, area and uh, we wanted it close to the head. That's where you sense sound, right, mm-hmm. with your ears. So we wanted to be able to, to, to track that close to your ears and your eyes and that kind of stuff um, because we knew a lot of factories, you can't have hand and wrist worn right. stuff. So we couldn't repurpose a wrist watch or we mm-hmm. couldn't repurpose an Apple watch or something mm-hmm. like that. Plus, we also knew cost is always a factor, right? Um, and, and not that people don't want to spend money on safety, but they, they anytime you spend money in business, you it's should see an ROI. Yes. Yes. Right? So why have a you know $700 Apple Watch on somebody that, by the way, isn't tracking half of the things that we're tracking? Right. Um, and if something happens to it, that's $700. Ours are sub 30 bucks. Wow. Right? So think how many more people you can cover yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. With that. So more Not to mention just the interruption of... Be what you can do on an Apple Watch and the distraction of that in a manufacturing facility times a thousand people. But yeah, um, yeah, I had another question there and I just lost it. So it'll come back. <laughs> you know, I think this is important because we have we have loved interviewing people like you, and yeah. what we've been getting feedback of is that we don't do a good job of explaining how do we fit in the picture, right? And so you can hear Gabe's passion in this podcast, and it's coming out, and I love talking to you. What we get passionate about is seeing that passion come out in our clients yeah. and the people that we work with every day. Like this is, our life is this big podcast. Totally. And seeing people transform lives and help industries like you're doing, it's so empowering for Brian and I to be able to walk through, how do you actually do this? Like, how do you go from zero to 60? Yeah. And a lot of times that's going to have, it's going to be clunky. And to have somebody like Brian and I to walk through that, what does that look like for your specific example? Where do you want to go? Hold you accountable. That's financial advising. When it's not just, here, give me your money. I'm going to put it over in a stock over here. It's actually bringing, bringing ideas yeah. and thoughts out of people and then impacting others. And I love to hear your passion. I get excited about it just right now. We're super out of time, but I don't want to <laughs> stop. So we're going to keep I wanna, going. I want to hit one more thing. And I remember my question is, um, I think so many people have a good idea. And, you know, I always go back to, you know, a guy makes tacos. I just think it's so easy to understand everybody likes tacos. But that's not a residual business, right? Like, you've got to get up and turn the lights on every day. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Make You Safe and you look at, okay, I could be a hardware manufacturer and produce these armbands, but that's not really where the potential is. So when you look at your business, talk about how you're turning it into, a, you know, a residual type model and what are the different ways you can kind of monetize this information to truly save people's life? Yeah. So what we discovered was, um, you know, the insurance company has a lot to gain and a lot to lose, right. in, in um, workplace safety. And once we started pairing ourselves with the insurance companies and we said, look, here, here's the interesting thing. We don't want to be a hardware company. We're right. not out there to sell pieces of hardware. You know, it, like I said, sub $30 to produce this thing. I'll sell it to you guys at whatever it, it costs right. us, right? We're focused on a software as a service revenue model, right? So each mm-hmm. of these connected devices uh, comes with a $6 a month fee 
to have access to that data, to the data platforms sure. and things like that. Uh, and then certainly there's, there's a lot more, um, even more opportunity in the data once, once we've aggregated and, and built up you know, you get a thousand companies on here. Imagine the amazing things that we'll oh. be able to learn as we anonymize this data wow. and, and start to look for uh, for patterns in that. So you're certainly right. We're more more focused on the residual income side of things. Uh, we've been very fortunate that um, insurance carriers have embraced that, and we've got almost five million dollars in bookings right now for the wow. product, uh, which wow. which is incredible for a startup that, that our product isn't uh, out yet. It's not ready to release. Yeah. Um, the market's you know that, telling you there's a need. <laughs> it, it, exactly. So, you know, so often the number one reason a startup fails, I don't know if you guys knew this, the number one reason a startup fails is product market fit. Somebody mm. creates something that they think the market needs. And it just isn't and there. It, and it just isn't there, right? Mm. Or, or the economics of the system mm -hmm. don't work, right? Maybe they would use it, but you can't produce it at an affordable enough cost for them to go, sure. yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so now, you know, we're in a startup where the both the end user has said, we demand this, we need yeah. this uh, for our employees. And then you've got the people that stand to, to have the most financial upfront loss, the insurance companies going, we need this, mm -hmm. we, de we demand this. Speed this up. <laughs> exactly. So that's put us in a really good position. Sure and, is. you know, one of the challenges with startups, uh, especially in the hardware space, is it takes time. You know, we're not, um, we're not competing with the two kids in the garage, like I always was on the software right. side of things, right? Because you know, when you're doing software, it's just about coding time. How fast can you can you sure. code? You know, and get something out there. With hardware, there's a process, and there's there's rules, regulations. There's things that it takes to get this off of the ground, and that just takes time and it takes capital. So that's where you know I've spent most of my time as the CEO. My co-founder uh, resigned from IBM last August, came on full time as nice. our CCO. Uh, we hired a CIO in October. We've hired a couple more guys. So I mentioned the the instructor from DMAC that helped me start my first yeah. company, Tom West. Uh, he was MakeySafe's fifth employee. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, wow. He's taken, tw after 28 Tom's years of teaching, Tom's a great guy. Gosh, taking a step Remember away him? and, and going to yeah. help us uh, help us out. So, so one last question I have, and I think you hit it, and I want to just, I want to hit on it deeper because I think so many business owners miss this. And I, I've been guilty of this too, but is admitting that you don't know how to do something and asking for help. We see so many business owners that, are holding on so tight, trying to control everything, that they just don't know how to ask for help. So talk to our listeners about what it's been like to like, I don't know how to do this, and that mindset. Our company wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a lot of the people around us that have rallied around us and gotten behind our mission and what we're doing. Uh, and I mentioned from the beginning, you know, my naivety about this is really what made this thing happen, because we got we got 10 months in and I look back on it, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at what we've, what we've accomplished. And then I looked ahead to what we still had to do, you know, and I, I go, man, this, Mount Everest. this looks really hard, but I think we can do it. And I think, you know, being, being stupid yeah. in the beginning and not knowing what I was getting myself into sure. helped. Um, but one thing I will say is, you know, faith has played a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it wasn't always that way. I, I grew up Catholic and, and, um, high school, late high school mm -hmm. and college, I uh, became atheist and really turned away from my faith. Wow. Um, if it wasn't for a mentor of mine when I was working at Target, who has since gone on to be a pastor and now uh, is like a regional director for First Assemblies of God, if it wasn't for his prompting uh, every mm -hmm. day when I would come into work, uh, I don't know where I would be at my faith journey, but I can tell you, I, I know where I'd be at in my entrepreneurial journey and it wouldn't be where I am right now. Mm -hmm. So many times in this journey, um, I, I've had to sit down and pray and say, Lord, I just need you to take uh, control of this. I, I, 
I yes. need uh, a connection. I need a door to open. And just please help me recognize that. And every time that that mm. that phone rings, I get an email. Somebody calls and says, "Hey, I, I have somebody you need to talk to." Mm. Um, and it's just been story after story after story like that through this process. So I really truly feel, you know, that that uh, his hand is over this, wow. and uh, that that uh, the people that are rallying around this really believe in our mission and what we're trying to do and it's it's easy for them to get behind it that's so cool very cool well i think that pretty much caps it off how can you how can you end a better (laughs) podcast than that gabe i want to thank you so much for just your time today and what you're doing if you have any questions guys we would love to hear from our listeners we would love to walk through some of the challenges and obstacles because we all know they're out there and i just uh yeah, there's a lot here and there's a lot more. And so we just want to encourage you to continue doing what you're doing. Thank you for letting us be yeah, a part of your sure. journey. Oh, guys. Gabe, how can our listeners, if they wanted to contact you or follow up on what you're doing, how can they uh, keep track of you? Yeah, uh, I'm at, at Gabriel Glenn uh, on Twitter. And that's uh, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-G-L-Y-N-N. Kind of goofy spelling there. Uh, or you can visit us, makeyousafe.com, uh, M-A-K-U-S-A-F-E.com. Uh, and I would like to say, I'd like to, to throw a little plug back your guys' way. So I've, I've known you guys as you've kind of gone through this journey, too. So, uh, you know, you and I, we're, we're, we're kindred souls, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're kind of going through this together. Yeah. One of the things that I've loved about working with you guys is I know when you look at your list of customers, I'm probably at the bottom from a, from a financial <laughs> uh, wealth standpoint and, and, and you know, the, the work I've been able to do with you guys. But one of the things that the two of you said to me, that has resonated and been one of the reasons why I want to continue to work with you guys and why I jumped in to begin with was when we first started talking about the financial side of things. Mm -hmm. And I think this is when I first met you, Brian, and you said, um, don't worry about stocks, bonds, things like that. Invest in yourself right now. Mm -hmm. Just invest in yourself. Totally. It will get you to a place where you want to be. And we will be here to help along the way. And we'll be here Mm -hmm. and ready when you get to a place where you want to use more stuff from us. And so, We've been able to do some transactions along the way, right, uh, which has been fantastic. But you guys have supported me in so many ways. This mm-hmm. podcast being a great example of that, you know, getting a chance to share our story with your listeners is really cool. So thank you to both of you oh, guys. thank you. Yeah. That was neat. Yeah. Guys, you've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. This is your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. Thanks again, Gabe. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Thanks everybody. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project. Brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.